going to ask everyone to stand for the reading of the Word of God. I just have one verse of Scripture for you here. Y'all glad that you're in the house of God today? Anybody excited about what God is doing? Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Here's what it says, then I'm going to let you be seated. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Everybody say a certain place. No, I only heard people from this side. Everybody say a certain place. place. Guys, are y'all in the room? All I heard was ladies. Let's try it one more time. Say a certain place. There's that low-end timbre that we need so desperately. Guys, don't let ladies become the spiritual leader in your house. You need to take responsibility. Notice how I slipped that in. You're welcome. It's easy for the men to say, ah, oh, church is the, my wife's thing. You got to take responsibility and lead your family in the pathway of God. It is very masculine to be spiritual. It's very manly to be godly. They will find you more attractive when they see you pray. You didn't ask for this, but if you want more action, you need to spend more time on your knees praying. Just saying. This ain't even a relationship series, but here we go. All the guys are listening. Food and sex, yes, you know. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Got to bring it right back on track. (laughs) Brace yourself. It's going to be one of those kind of days. When he stopped praying, one of his disciples said to him, notice this, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, real quick, I want you to flip over in your Bibles, which would be to the left if you're in a real Bible. It's going to be scrolled back up to the top if you're on your phone. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 6. And I want you to hang on to that. I'm going to let you be seated. We're not going to read this right now, but this is what I'm going to preach. But before we sit down, let's invite Jesus into our hearts and into our minds. Father, you are greater than anything that we've brought in with us. You're greater than any distraction. You're greater than any problem. You're greater than any crisis we are facing. And Lord, we need you to teach us to pray. Take us by the hand. Walk us through step by step everything that is required in communicating with you. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Keep your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6. While y'all are sitting down and finding your place, I just want to say, Buena Asafiwe to all of my Kenyan family. You are awesome. Karibu Nola, we are glad that you are here. Glad that you are with us. I got a word today from Pastor John in Yandarua County, which is outside of where our main location is in Nairobi. But we have nine churches in Yandarua County. And he told us about the our main location there. A lady walked in with an oppression from a demonic spirit on her life, and in Jesus' name, they cast it off of her, and she left free in Jesus' name. Praise God for that. And I'm thankful to hear what is happening, and they are actually joining us in this series that we are preaching through, which is all about prayer. Everybody say prayer. 
We started last week and we learned about Solomon's prayer and getting a foundation for our sacrifice. And prayer is a sacrifice and our communication with God is in fact a sacrifice. And you need to determine what is going to be the foundation of what I offer to God. What is going to be the basis what is going to be the structure that I build my worship and my, my supplication to God on? Am I building it on a religious viewpoint or am I building it on a desperate need for Him in my life? Am I learning to acknowledge Him? Am I learning to repent to Him? Am I learning to worship Him? And most of all, what we learned last week, am I inviting Him into my sacrifice? If you missed any part of that, that was the thumbnail. You can go to nolachurch.com or on our YouTube channel and get caught up. But now we are caught up with where we are today. And I want to kind of lay some foundation. If you need a title for today, I'm just simply titling today's sermon, The Disciples' Prayer. Everybody say, The Disciples' Prayer. Yeah, again, we're we're back to like half of y'all talking. I'm going to just have you keep talking until y'all talk with me. Everybody say, The Disciples' Prayer. Man, that, see, it sounds so much better on the podcast when y'all do that. So y'all work with me here. But Jesus is walking and talking with a mass of people. When, when we think of the disciples, we think of the 12, right? We think Jesus hung out with 12 dudes. And because some of us went to Sunday school, we think that these guys are in their late 20s, early 30s, early 30s and a couple of them possibly close to their 40s. But that, that's incorrect. These are actually a group of teenage boys, somewhere between age 13 and 19. There's a possibility that a couple of them were already in their 20s, but we're talking about a 33-and-a-half-year-old man walking around with a bunch of teenagers. He would have straight got canceled in today's society. But he is dealing with them because in the culture, this is where they moved into adulthood. Some of these men already had family. Some of these men possibly even had children or were in the process of making children at this point. We're not talking about seasoned people. We're talking about very, very young. This is the 12, but outside of the 12, there was roughly 12 to 1,500 people that kind of traveled with Jesus around the countryside. You see, Jesus planted a mega church first, and it got quiet. He's like, I thought he wasn't for mega churches. No, God never does anything small. So get your head out of the tiny and start thinking about the fact that I'm a part of something that's already so much bigger than anything that I can imagine. By the way, this is a church where you can get with me when I'm preaching. Even when I say something you've never heard before, it's okay to say, what? It's all right. Let's try it. Everybody say, what? There, see, now you're already preaching with me. So he is traveling around with a mass of people that are following him, but he's got this close group of 12 that he spends daily time with. And there was something that he did that he would stop and he would pray often. And people sometimes don't understand why he did this. Like, if Jesus is God, why is he praying? I mean, wouldn't he already know what he was going to say? Who is Jesus praying to? you got to understand this. While Jesus is fully God in his humanity, he was fully our example of how to get close to himself. So a lot of what he's doing is showing us how to communicate with God. Does this make sense? And every day in a certain place, Jesus would go and he would stop and he would disconnect from other things in life. 
and he would stop everything that was going on. He would turn off the noises. He didn't have a phone or social media, but if he had, he would have turned it all off. He'd have turned off the boob tube, and he would have turned off the news, and he would have turned off all the other input sources where he could just communicate. And he went to a certain place to do this. The first thing that I want to talk to you about tonight or today is the fact that God wants you to designate a certain specific intentional place where you and he can connect. It's not just random. Yes, he is as close as the mention of his name. You're driving down the road and some fool cuts you off in traffic as they are wont to do in the GNO. And and you say, Jesus, yes, he is there in the midst of that situation. He says, where any two or three gather together in my name, there will I be in the midst of them. Yes, all of this is true, but there is something powerful that happens in the life of a believer when they say, Jesus, this is the place that I am designating to meet you at a certain time in a certain place because I want to communicate with you. And he is doing this and he is praying in such a way that the disciples who are growing up in Orthodox Judaism, they have never heard anyone pray like this. And one of them asked the question, we don't know which one it is, but one of them asked the question, Lord, can you teach us how to do that? And that, that's what we read in Luke 11. But I wanted to flip over to Matthew chapter 6 because I, we don't really know if it's the exact same conversation. Maybe they ask the question and he teaches them the lesson and then he turns around later and teaches the same lesson to the mass of people when he is preaching the Sermon on the mountain. We don't know if that's what happened. Maybe they ask the question while he's getting ready to preach the Sermon on the Mount. We don't really know the setting. But either way, here's what we do know. They ask the question, Lord, will you teach us to pray? And he begins to break down what it means to pray. And he starts in chapter 6, verse 5, and he says, Whenever you pray, everybody say whenever. In other words, don't just make it something religious. We love religion. We love our ceremony. We love our, we love our process. We love our practices. We love to go through step by step. But like, he said, like, whenever you pray, whenever you set aside time to communicate with me, don't be like the hypocrites. Woo. Well, what makes them hypocritical? They love to pray while standing in the synagogues and on street corners so people can see them. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. So let's break this down. What what is a synagogue? A synagogue was something that would start where somewhere between 10 and 15 individuals would get together. We would call it a small group or a, a Bible study, whatever terminology you want to use. They would get together and they would meet at a certain time and in a certain place to get together and talk about Scripture. And over time that would grow until it became a gathering place where the entire community was welcomed in. So he's saying hypocrites gather with other believers and they pray out loud in front of other believers so that people can hear them. And it got quiet in here. And then they go to the street corners so that the people who are not believers 
can see them going through their religious ritual. Let me kind of put this into some context for us because last time I checked, most of you are not going out to the corner of the street and just doing your daily prayers out on the corner of the street. Okay, most of you don't take a rug, lay it out in the middle of the of the ground and get on your knees and pray. I did see that happen on an airplane one time, and let me just tell you, I began to pray and fast immediately on the prayer on the plane. Scared the potash out of me. I had no idea what was about to happen, but I don't know what potash either is either. My dad used to say it. I still don't know what it is, but I, I don't like it, and it gets out of me when I get scared. Most of us don't go do that. But let me tell you, it's kind of like this. Social media post. Clickety, 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 click. Look at my coffee and my Bible lined up perfectly with the sunlight breaking across. I want you to know that I pray so that you forget about the next four posts where I cuss people out. Or when I post all the pictures of the elixir that I'm consuming, I want you to not see those. I want you to see the scripture that I posted. Did it, elixir, you're drinking. Right. Is this okay? Is it all right? God is good. I'm hammered. You know, that. Like, it, it, we want to be public in front of unbelievers. Sherman's missed a few weeks. He's like, this is the reason I work on Sundays. But anyway, <laughs> love you, dude. Like, I want believers to recognize that I'm religious. It has nothing to do with what I'm saying or doing or if I'm even growing spiritually. I just want unbelievers to know that I have the Jesus fish or the WWJD or maybe the Hebrew tattoo on the inside of my forearm. Notice me. Notice my... Re- He's saying, don't be like the hypocrites that go to the church to go to the small group and pray in front of other believers so that other believers think they're spiritual. You can tell hypocritical prayers in the congregation when it suddenly becomes King James-ish because ain't none of us talk like that. Thus thou art wonderful, thou mighty and awesome potentate. Potentate, that was the word I was looking for. Like, hey. You're trying to be noticed by other people. That doesn't mean God's noticing you. You're going out on the street corner letting the world know, hey, I believe in Jesus. Good, I'm glad. But does your life show that you believe in Jesus? Are you doing it to be noticed? Are you doing it to be heard? Because if you are, if you're doing it for other people, you've already received your reward in your prayer. And God's like, you're just rambling. Good for you. So he's saying, whenever you pray, don't don't pray like the hypocrites. So how do I not be hypocritical in my prayer? Verse 6, but whenever you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your father in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you need to communicate with God and you have to go to a public place, you need to recognize you're not in relationship with your God. You're connected to a religion. 
And he's saying, don't be hypocritical and pray to be noticed, but you need to have a certain place that you go. And the inner room, he makes a direct reference to an inner room. This is, this is linking up with something from the culture that like today in our culture, we would call it a closet. It was a room on the inside of the house, a room on the inside of the temple where there were no windows. There was basically one way in and one way out. Nobody could see in. Nobody could see out. You could go in and close the door and nobody knew what was going on in there except you and God. Because think about this, if I'm praying in front of you and that's the only time that I pray, I'm never going to be real with what's going on in my life. But when I get alone and it's just me and God, I'm like, hey, you know exactly what's happening in this peanut brain of confusion. You know exactly what this flesh is fighting and I need you to deal with me and I can get very real because I'm not trying to offend you. I'm not trying to impress you with my words. And he's saying, don't be hypocritical. Don't just be praying in public to be noticed and to be heard. You need to find a place of privacy with me and you need to go in and you need to close the door where I can talk to you and you can talk to me. This makes sense. So this is the first kind of prayer he's dealing with. He's like, I, I don't want you doing hypocritical prayers. Why, why was he dealing with this? The reason he's dealing with this is because at, at this point in the Hebrew culture, it had become extremely religious. The religious people would have prayer boxes strapped to the front of their chest and they would walk through the street with these prayer boxes with scriptures written and prayers written on them. And they would walk through and they would pull the scroll of their out of their prayer box and they would pray them out loud on the street. Kind of awkward, huh? But on the inside, nothing was happening because their only relationship was with the words they were saying, not to the one they were praying to. He said, I don't don't want my disciples, I don't want my believers to be hypocritical. I want them to be deeply connected to who I am. Amen, amen. Then he continues on in verse 7. He says, when you pray, don't babble repetitiously like the Gentiles because they think that by their many words they will be heard. It's kind of like going to going to pray and oh god 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 or god you're great my mighty god oh lord i i just need you my mighty god i lord i need you to touch their life oh mighty god i need you to come over here oh mighty god okay let me ask you this question connor can i use you as an example you, you okay? I'm not coming for you. You're just right in front of me. You're, you're in the spit zone. You know, you, I, get, I get to. Okay, it would be really, really weird if I was engaging in a conversation with Connor. I was like, how you doing, Connor? Are you having a good day, Connor? Connor, are you doing good, Connor? Connor, 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 Connor. Dude, I was praying for you, my friend Connor, and I saw you the other day, my friend Connor. Are you starting to make the connection? Are you sure? Oh, God, you're awesome. Oh, God, you're awesome. Oh, God, you're awesome. Oh, God. Don't babble on repetitiously. If you don't know what to say, close your mouth and let him say it to you. Or better yet, get lost in his presence and let his breath 
fill your lungs and come out of your mouth as the Spirit gives the utterance and let the Spirit of God pray through you because when you don't know what to pray, His Spirit will begin to pray through you with moanings and groanings that cannot be uttered. The problem is we think we need to constantly be talking. Prayer is communication. Have you ever been in a conversation with that person that won't ever shut up? And you're just like, I wonder if God does that. He's like, you're like, oh, God, I love you. He's like, oh, man, this is. And we're just like, he's like, shut up. We fill the we fill the void with words. Because we think prayer is a religious ceremony and we don't understand that it is communication with the Almighty. Here's the deal. You just sit in his presence for two, three hours without saying a word. I promise you he will say more in that two or three hours of your silence than you could talk in a lifetime. We don't have to fill the space. And when we don't really know him, we, we feel like we have to cover. We feel like we have to drop religious words in there. We feel like we have to quote someone else's prayer. We feel like we have to do all these things because we don't really know the one that we are communicating with because it's not dialogue, it's monologue. It's a ceremony. And let, let me tell you, we ask each other, I, I've done this, you've done this, we've all done this, all God's children have done this. Can you pray for me? No. We're supposed to pray with each other. But we think that, hey, this person's prayers work. This person's prayers, mm, not real sure about their prayers. <laughs> I am going through some stank in my life. Please don't pray for me. <laughs> Pastor Luke, I'm going to need you to pray for me. But here's the deal. If you believe in Jesus and you are filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost... You are seated in heavenly places. You have the authority. You can open up your mouth and walls will come crashing down. You can open up your mouth and miracles can happen. You don't need a preacher to do it. You don't need me to do it. You're a child of God. You don't have to babble. You can just say, by the authority, not by the power of grace, goal, I have the power. Not that. All of you kids that remember He-Man, He-Man, your authority comes from God, not from some religious structure. You are seated in heavenly places. You are sitting in the arms of Almighty God as he is resting in the seat of power, in the throne of the heavenlies, in the realm of God. And he is saying, I've got you whatever you need. You have direct access to. You don't have to babble. You can just say, Jesus, I don't even know the words to say. Just do your thing. And then close your mouth. And let him be God. Is this good this morning? Don't be a hypocrite when you pray. Don't babble like people that don't even know God. Here's the deal. Who is your God? Is your God a religious figure? Is your God some ancient person from a, a dead history, a, a time period that we don't even think about? Or is your God still alive? Is your God still hanging on the cross? Or is your God alive? 
Is your God ready to fill you with his own breath, his own character, his own nature? And if he is alive, come boldly before the throne and make your petition known. I'm going through this. I'm going through this. I need this. I have fallen in this area. I need. But first, I acknowledge who you are. You're the sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, and I worship you because you deserve worship, and I don't. You're greater than my situation that I'm about to tell you about, but before I even tell you about it, I want to repent and change my mind about my situation. And Lord Jesus Christ, oh God of all gods, I want you to rain down and invade my situation. I invite the God of all gods to be a part of my situation. That's exactly what Solomon teaches us to pray. Not Babylon. Go read some of these prayers from the, from the Old and New Testament. You don't see them repeating phrases. We repeat phrases when we don't know who we're talking to. But if we're in relationship, I remember like Olga and I, had we dated like six months and then we got married. I don't recommend it for everybody, but don't date nine years and then try to get married. You're just asking for trouble. Should have put a ring on it. But anyway. Uh -oh -oh. Don't give up the cookies until you get the ring. I'm just saying. But we, we dated six months and we got married. We didn't even really know each other. We, we didn't. But the longer that she lived in the house with me and couldn't get out. I'm kidding. I didn't lock her in the house. <laughs> that sounded really, really weird when I said that. I'm sorry. That's not at all what happened. Let's take that back. All right. That's not what happened at all. But the longer we were in relationship, there were moments then that we didn't have to fill up. Now, I like to talk. Her not so much. Like, hey, babe, this is what I'm going through. She's like, how do you feel about that? Mm. And I had the tendency to just like, okay, you're not talking. Here I come, you know, just like. But the longer we were together, the deeper that relationship was there, the more that we could just drive down the road and not talk. But that's when the cool things happen, like, you got your hand resting on the deal, and she reaches over and just kind of interlocks those last two fingers. You're like, whoo I mean, that little brush says more than me babbling on for an hour. Or you're walking down through the mall, and you've drifted apart because she's looking at something neither one of you can afford, and you're just like, I just got to get out of here. And you kind of bump back up against each other and one of you reaches over and grabs the hand and you're just, there's closeness there. You don't have to say words when you're close. That's why you got to go to the secret place. Because the more time you spend in private, the deeper the intimacy that doesn't have to be displayed because it's real. I love to kiss my wife. Dang, she can kiss. But I don't have to do it in front of you 
Because I do it when ain't none of y'all around. And if there is that rare moment that you see me going to that place, you better know that daddy needs some mama. Because I promise you, she ain't going to do it back. I'm just kidding. No, but here's the deal. I don't have to be intimate in public for you to know we love each other. There are moments of intimacy that we have had that when we walk through the room, I know when she walks in. My wife, Dar, goes out. Don't be hypocritical. Don't pray to be noticed. Don't pray to be heard. Don't just babble on with some random junk that doesn't mean anything. Pray privately. You're saying I shouldn't pray congregationally? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Congregational prayer is extremely important. There's something powerful that happens in specified seasons or on specified days. Like you come together and, and on a Sunday or you get together in a small group or, or we have tabernacle weeks or even 21 days of prayer. Or you say, hey, let's go up to the church and have a prayer small group. There's a power that comes in corporate prayer. But that better be the overflow of the intimacy that you have in the secret place or the corporate means nothing. Verse 8, he says, hey, y'all, don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. He already knows. So you don't have to put on a show to get his attention. Stop trying to be spiritual. Just be real. Stop trying to appear like you know everything, because trust me, you don't. Just about the time that any of us think we know everything we turn to another page in the Bible and realize, oh, I have never read that before. And we begin to learn things. And he says, so pray this way. Everybody say, pray this way. No, notice where verse 9 is resting. It's resting immediately after he has dealt with hypocritical prayers and prayers of people that don't even know him. I don't want you to be like that, so I'm going to give you a pattern that I want you to use to connect with me whenever you pray. How do I stop praying hypocritically? Pray like this. How do I stop praying as if I don't know him? Pray like this. And the vast majority of us in this room, in fact, I'd say probably the all of us in this room, are going to reference the next few verses, verse 10 to verse 13, as the Lord's Prayer. Everyone heard of the Lord's Prayer? Some of you may know it as the Our Father. But let me submit to you that this is not the Lord's Prayer. This is a prayer He used to teach the disciples. I'm calling this the Disciples' Prayer. Because nowhere in the text do you find Him saying, this is the prayer that I pray. This is not his prayer. This is not something that you pray when you're going through hell. This is not a prayer that you should pray. In fact, you should probably never even pray these words because he never commands us to pray these words. There is no magical spiritual power in you praying this. This is nothing more than a pattern. Everybody say a pattern. Verse 9, he continues, Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. Our Father in heaven, 
May your name be honored. Notice where he is starting the pattern of prayer. Acknowledgement, reverence, and worship. Acknowledgement, reverence, and worship. Our Father in heaven, may your name be made holy. May your name be honored. You see, you understand this. A believer knows the name of God. And when the believer knows the name of their God and that believer begins to honor the name of God, what you're saying is, God, I honor the authority of who you are. I recognize your sovereignty. You are the first, the last, the beginning, and the end. There is no one who is greater than you. There is nothing that is greater than you. Just like you said in Isaiah, you looked around and you didn't see anybody else around you. There is no God but you. And the name that you gave and you trusted to us, the name of Jesus needs to be honored. When's the last time you honored the name of Jesus in your prayer? Not a vague reference to the name of Jesus, but when is the last time you said, God, you are greater. I love your name. You could only do this when you've been in a secret place with him and you actually recognize that the name of Jesus is not just like calling him John or Bill or Donovan. The name of Jesus is the greatest name. Well, there's other people. I know a guy named Jesus. I know a guy named Jesus. Good. But ain't none of them the creator of heaven and earth. The one who is named Jesus before the foundation of the world. He had a name that was given to him before let there be ever happen. The name of Jesus was already in place. And when you begin to tap into the honor that belongs to the God of all gods and the power and the authority... That is in the name of Jesus. When you begin to speak the name of Jesus into your situations, y'all, you have to understand that hell begins to quake when you pray the name of Jesus. When you begin to speak the name of Jesus, not as something written on paper, but when you speak the name of Jesus from a place of relationship where you have been in private communication with Jesus. Jesus, invade this situation. Jesus, I reverence you because I am in awe of your majesty. Our Father in heaven, let your name be honored. Notice where he goes now. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I hear this a lot. I hear this a lot. People say, Pastor, can you help me find out the will of God? Anybody ever prayed that or asked that? I just need the will of God. It's okay. You can lift your hand. I'm not coming at you. Bunch of liars in this church. We're praying about. I got your email. I need to know the will of God. When is the last time you invited the will of God to happen before your will? May your kingdom come. In other words, sovereign God whose name is honored above every other name, I want your realm, your kingdom, I want your reality to be done here. Forget my agenda. Brace yourself. 
Forget even the reason that I came to pray. I would much rather your agenda happen than my need even be addressed. Think of the faith that says, I don't even have to tell you what I'm going through because if your kingdom is in this reality, you will have already met my needs because you knew my need before I ever even realized I had a need. So I don't have to sit here and vomit out my need over and over because I'm in relationship with my heavenly father. And he already knows everything. Does this make sense? May your kingdom come. Let your agenda be done. Choke my agenda. In fact, I'm just going to throw my agenda down. This is reverence. This is acknowledgement. This is worship. Let's, let's go on to the next theme that Jesus is including in the pattern of the disciples' prayer. Verse 11, he says, Give us today our daily bread. Have you ever wondered about the phrasing of that? Give us today our daily bread. There's a lot that's in this. Here's the first thing. You're recognizing Jesus as your source. We get this. give, Give me what I need today. But adding that word daily changes it. It expands it. Let me prove it to you. Lord, you know what I need today. But you also know what I'm going to need tomorrow. So don't give me what I'm going to need tomorrow today because you know me, Lord. I'm probably going to waste it. Give me what I need today. And when I wake up in the morning, why don't you go ahead and have all that morning mercy muffins waiting on me. Give me what I need today and let me tap into that daily provision. Here's the deal. We look for God to move in all of these various places. We look in all of these sources. Man, I I wish the government would just go ahead and come through. Or like in our situation, I wish the insurance company would go ahead and strike a check. Right? Todd, you feel me on this? I wish some people move out their house so I can move out the camper and I can move in their house, you know, just something. God, let this happen. Let the, why don't I just say, God, why don't you just give me what I need today? And I trust you to take care of tomorrow, but just give me what I need today. I don't need to get through next week. I need to get through today. Because I know that if you can get me through today, I can trust you through tomorrow. Verse 12. Y- y'all learning anything today? Verse 12, and forgive us our debts. Anybody need God to forgive your debts? This is not a financial deal. Dear Lord, wipe out all of that credit card debt. God is not credit counseling. He's also not not cash app. You know, that's not how that works. Forgive us our debts is literally referring to the massive debt of sin and the penalty of our sins that's resting on us. Forgive us of everything we deserve. Right? But notice the caveat. 
as we ourselves have forgiven our debtors. We don't really like that side of it. God, forgive me. Make their car fall apart while they're driving. They hurt me, God. May the bird of prey light on their navel. You know, just... But please forgive me. Dear Lord, I want you to sweep down with a Holy Ghost fire. And I want you to do something amazing in my life. But that person who cut me off in traffic, that person who unfriended me on social media, that person who talked about me behind their back, the person who did this, the person... Don't do anything for them. But have we misunderstood that the measure of God's forgiveness that we access is determined by the amount of grace and mercy that we flow out to everyone else. So God, as you're wiping my slate clean, give me the strength to wipe their slate clean and say, you're better at keeping records than I am. Let me ask you this. Are you willing to let them out of their prison so that you can be out of your prison? We learned this in our freedom small group. By the way, if you don't go through freedom, you, you need to go through freedom. we got freedom encounter coming up the second week of December. You want to come be a part of that? If you've never been through the small group, you can start in, in January or February whenever the next quarter starts. But one of the things we learn in freedom is this, is that unforgiveness is like setting yourself on fire and blaming somebody else for the pain. And when you learn to forgive somebody else, what you're doing is you're setting a prisoner free only to realize in that moment that you are the prisoner that is set free. They hurt me. It's real. I'm never going to forget it because it hurts so bad. But Lord, I forgive them and I turn them over to you because you're way better at measuring the scales. Well, I'll forgive them, but I don't trust them. Good. Because forgiveness has nothing to do with reconciliation. You may not can reconcile with them, but you need to let them go so that you can let yourself go. Because if you're unwilling to let them go, you're never going to be able to access the free, graceful forgiveness that he has already provided. Forgive us our debts in the same way that we forgive those who are indebted to us. Here's the deal. If you hurt me, some of you in this building have. Some of you watching have, have hurt me. Some of you listen to this podcast or watch the movie later. You've hurt me, and I've probably hurt you too because I'm human. I apologize on behalf of all good people everywhere. As a pastor, I'm going to hurt you and offend you sometimes because I am human just like you. But today, I'm apologizing. I'm sorry. And I'm forgiving you as well. Because there's never a day in my life that I don't need to access the grace and the mercy of God. Does this make sense? Anybody learning anything? Last verse here. Verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Don't lead us into temptation. Like, why would God 
Like what kind of God leads somebody into temptation? That's not what it's saying. That's how we're reading it because of the limitation of our language. But what this is saying is, God, in your sovereignty and in your grace, keep my feet away from temptation. The book of James tells us this, that we are led into temptation by our own lustful desires. We're led into temptation. Man, I close my Bible and people get up and walk out from every corner. I ain't done. Good way to distract a preacher with no notes, but anyway. God, my feet are going to run toward temptation because I'm led into temptation by my own lustful desires. So here's what I need you to do. When my feet turn toward the stank, I want you to grab my foot and pull it back over here. God's not going to lead us into temptation, but we can say, God, keep me away from the thing that tears me down and deliver us from the evil one. What is that even talking about? Is he talking about Satan? Look at your neighbor and say, Satan. Yeah, probably. But here's the thing that we overlook. A lot of times, we're our own worst enemy. A lot of times, the devil doesn't have to do anything because the devil probably doesn't know our name because whatever little imp is watching us is just sitting back saying, they're going to take care of this. I get the day off. We've been giving the devil a vacation chasing our own lusts. So deliver us from the evil one. This one right here. Deliver me from our my mindset that is opposite of you. Deliver me from my temptation, but deliver me from the evil thoughts that come from inside of me. And here's the thing you got to understand. This is a pattern of prayer that God designed for you. It's not the Lord's prayer. It's your prayer. Again, don't don't pray this thinking you're going to get to go to extra levels of heaven. You're not leveling up in the game of, of godliness. You find yourself in a crappy situation, and you're going to, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer, and I'm going to get it. No, it's not going to happen. It's not like garlic with vampire. That's not what this is. This is a pattern for you to find the guarantee from God himself that whenever you follow this pattern, my ears perk up and I will hear everything that you are saying when you acknowledge me, when you put my agenda first, when you seek provision from me, when you lean into my grace and my mercy, and then when you repent and you forgive others in the same way that I'm forgiving you, I will keep you from everything that ravages your life. Does this make sense? So here's what I want to do. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. We're about to go back into worship. Say, how do I get into this place? How do I get into this place? How do I find myself in a position where God hears and answers my prayers every time? It starts in the secret place. It starts 
in the secret place. And here's what I'm believing right now. At this moment, I believe God is calling this congregation, whether you're online, whether you're overseas, whether you're somewhere else in the United States, if you call NOLA Church home, if you're here in the theater, whatever, I want you to know God is calling NOLA Church to a place that is secret. Where's your prayer room? Where's the place that you designate for him? Where is the place that you've set aside that you say, I'm going there? Because you can pray all you want to. You can babble. You can can go through the repetition. You can pray publicly. But until you've gone to that secret place, you're not even really going to know how to get into his presence. Does that make sense today? So here's what I'm praying, God, right now, in the name that is above every name. Draw us into that secret place with you, Lord. Draw us into that place of personal interaction with you that's just between you and us, God. Draw us into that place that is beyond everything else, God. Draw us into that place of private interaction with you. Take us to a place of intimacy.